Hello, this is Dr. Earl with Denali Medical. To get us started, I'd like to ask you a question. Are you ready? I mean, really ready. Are you ready to find solutions? Are you ready to find root source healing? If you are, well, let's go. So, um, Dr. Earl, uh, what would you like to talk about? Because we're always excited about what anything you want to talk about because it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think. There's been there's been a lot. I mean, certainly the diet and nutrition has been a hot topic, especially with the holidays going on. Um, right. I, I did have an interesting, and we can maybe start a little bit with that, and maybe expand in some other things. But I had an interesting conversation. Someone who is touted as being really health conscious and and understanding, you know, the body and the exercise, they eat religiously, if you will, so not just right, they eat religiously. And we were talking about quinoa, and and they said, oh, that is the worst food ever, ever because your body can't use it, and it just rots in your gut. And when we start learning about resistant starches, and we talked a little bit last week, and we made a video, you could touch on it again, about how to properly prepare your rice, your beans, your potatoes. Um, well, there's some of these foods like raw, uh, green bananas, um, quinoa, some of these other really amazing foods that already have resistant starch built in. And we have to start thinking about our food differently. Our food is not necessarily just to feed us. We want to make sure that microbiome is healthy, vibrant, and doing everything it, it can because as that microbiome breaks down these resistant starches, and again, in the case of quinoa, where it rots in the gut, that was her words, I loved it. I said, well, it doesn't rot, it's actually broke, I guess you could use that word, but it's broken down by the microbiome. And then the microbiome releases these amazing, I mean absolutely amazing chemicals within our bodies. Essential fatty acids, so I'm talking butyric acid, acetic acid, all of these short-chain fatty acids that our body thrives on, our brain goes crazy, the mental clarity goes through the roof. It helps repair the leaky gut. It helps repair the blood-brain barrier. It actually, they will actually reduce the amount of cholesterol that's lining your vessels. It attaches to calcium that's hardening your vessels and creating other challenges within your body. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what the microbiome will do with these resistant starches. And yet, some of the information that we're getting out there is that they're useless to the body. I guess if you say, is it directly absorbed straight into your body, then yes, that's true. But as far as being useless, that's not the case. In fact, it could be some of the most, and I shouldn't say could be, it is some of the most amazing food that we can get into our body, these resistant starches. And preparing them the right way, and eating them the right way. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of information out there about what the most healthy diet is and how to make the most healthy diet. And unfortunately, we, you know, you hear a lot about the keto diet. You hear about Atkins. You hear about the South Beach diet. You hear about fasting, intermittent fasting. And they all actually have a place and have some benefit. But for everyday life, and I may get some interesting messages on this, but you have to understand diet the way that your body needs it, the way that we should eat, I mean, we should be having between 60 and 70% grains in our diet. Yes, I said that. (laughs) 
And, and we hear from everybody, I mean, the grain brain, some of these other people, how bad the grains are for our system. But the reality is it's not the grains that are bad. It's what we have done to the grains that is bad. Let's take wheat for an example. Before World War II, um, we did quite a few things. I mean, we, we ate wheat, and, and you think about the people that lived before World War II. I mean, if you think about the obesity rate, it was extremely low. And we had wheat and everything, beef and bread and, and pasta and everything else. Well, World War II changed everything because we wanted to start to be able to mass produce everything from our, our weapons to our clothing, even to our food. And so we changed the way that we make bread. And, and then we also changed what we do with wheat. So we decided to look at, you know, and when I say we, I'm talking, you know, the scientists and and the food industry. So they took wheat and they started to crossbreed it so that it had more of the kernel inside and less of the outer crust, if you will, protective layers. And so it was a bigger, fuller wheat. And and then what they noticed from that is that they got more, if you will, bang for the buck, energy supposedly, but it wasn't necessarily great energy. And so they continued down that path, and right now, between mixing our wheat with grasses and other things, our wheat really isn't, isn't wheat. Well, the next thing that they did was they, because it used to be that when we made our bread, and this is the way they still do it in Europe, is you, you mixed up your bread the night before with your starter, if you will, your yeast starter, and you made some version of sourdough. The powerful thing about that preparation was the fact that these starters, these fungal starters, yeast starters, if you select the right yeast, their preferred food source is gluten. And so the first thing that they would take out of the bread is the thing that we are having such a big problem with in today's society with our, our wheat. It would chew up the gluten, and so you would essentially end up with a very low gluten, or even if you left it, if you left it longer, you could get to a zero-gluten bread from wheat if you just took the extra time to prepare it the right way. So we, we got rid of that and we, had, we got these rapid rising yeasts, we altered our wheat, and, um, and the yeast, if you've ever done these sorts, you'll, you'll see that the yeast binds the bread together. I mean, it's binding capability is amazing. So you really come with this hearty, hearty bread at the end of mixing it. Well, when they did the rapid rise yeast and just threw flour and the yeast together, it was so crumbly they couldn't do anything with it. So they thought, hmm, what are we going to do with this? And if you ever wonder where the name gluten came from, it's because it acts like glue. And so they, again, continued to crossbreed the wheat until it had increased gluten so that it would be more sticky. And then even to the point where we actually extract out the gluten and add gluten to our bread in order to make it stick together. So Frankenbread is absolutely the real deal of what we're seeing right now. We, we are, we're eating Frankenbread. We're not taking care of wheat the right way. We're putting it into our system in a, an altered form, and we're suffering the consequences from it. And wheat is just one of those examples. We, we do a similar thing with rice. We do a similar thing with beans. All out of speed and convenience, not out of how to prepare the foods the right way. 
if you prepare them the right way, you end up with these resistant starches that allow, allow a nice, slow release of carbohydrates into your system and really propagate a healthy microbiome. And the results of that, fill your leaky gut, clear up your brain fog. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and there's, you know, a thing with potatoes, rice, and we talked about that. Pasta can be a resistant starch if you do everything the right way. I mean, it's just, it's just getting back to some basics as far as preparing food in the right way and doing it for help rather than for speed and convenience. Mm, that makes sense. So, yeah, I was just going over that because I had been avoiding rice because of all the carbs. And right. so, um, and just going over my notes to figure out, okay, you need to prepare the rice and then let it cool and then reuse it. Yeah, so, and that process is instead of from last week, and I'll just touch on it again, all of these grains, they have natural pesticides within them. They don't want to, you know, have all of the little bugs and whatever just come and have a heyday on them. So they have some natural pesticides in them. You release those when you cook them. So cook your rice with extra water, drain the water completely, cool the rice, and, and we know through basic chemistry that heat is a catalyst for change. And the same happens with our food. And so if you heat the rice, it becomes, and you, and you use it right away, it is a simple starch. It is a carbohydrate smorgasbord, just like having not much sugar. But if you cool it down, the process of cooling it down re-knits those carbohydrates back together. And, and they release the heat. They release the energy. That energy release causes the carbon and the carbohydrates back in, into a complex form. To the point that then rice becomes very, very healthy. And one, one little trick as you reheat your rice, if you'll put just a little bit of oil in, it makes it easier to reheat the rice in the pan. Same thing happens with potatoes and, and the list goes on and on and on. Even quinoa, you need to cook that with extra water, drain it off. Quinoa does not have to be cooled. It already comes pre-set up as a complex carb. If you do cool it, you're not going to do any harm. But quinoa already is a complex carb. Well, you know, um, yeah, I used to see people, you know, raised in the Orient or raised from national descent, but they had, they cooked their rice in a rice cooker and then it cooled. And I used to think, well, that seems pretty strange. You know, they just, they just let it right. cool and then get it cold and so I wouldn't they want it when it was fresh. And, and then I, I, I remember one had asked me, so are you going to sit there all day? And I just, I didn't get it, but that's how they did it. And then, then when they did eat it, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of sticky. And, and I was thinking, um, what, this wasn't how I was used to eating the rice. But I see now that they have been taught, and for whatever reason, that they, maybe they didn't know the reason, but that's how they did it. Right. And I think over the years, they just, you know, either was, it was handed down from generations, but that's, that's still the way they do it throughout most of Asia, and it's not until they start to Americanize their food, if you will, that they start trying to get everything, you know, based on speed, but they still, they'll cook their rice, drain it, let it cool, reheat it if they want it warm, but for, for the most part, I mean, sushi is often, it's usually eaten with cold, cool rice, um, and, and so you get a really healthy carbohydrate in that way, and it feeds you feed your microbiome, and it's just, it really is a great combination. 
Wow, that's amazing. Now, you know, um, does it have to be right. length and then just the tender, like you said, needs extra water? Well, you remove the extra water, um, and then it, it's it not, not necessarily a length, but the pro- it needs to be back to basically room temperature. If you get it in the fridge, that obviously gets there faster, but uh, it needs to be back to at least room temperature. Because remember, back in the day, um, they didn't have refrigerators, so... Just the process of letting it cool to room temperature, and then it's ready to go. That is terrific. Oh, yeah. Good. And my favorite rice is jasmine. So back in the 70s and 80s, I went to great lengths to get the brown rice and the pearl rice. And, and because that was, everybody was reading the Dell Davis and believing that way. <laughs> so I remember we did a lot of rice then. And then now that I'm watching carbs, I wasn't eating any. So it would be nice. Like it's I could get back to eating a bit of Yeah, healthy, healthy carbs um, really, it, it changes your health. And and the keto diet, which has its place, so don't get me wrong, and there is a great time for ketosis. We talked about getting into ketosis before you fly, and it helps um, protect and eliminate the, um, the radiation um, and the, the exposure to getting out of the atmosphere that we get. So there's a time for it, and, and there's also a, a place for it, but it needs to really be coordinated. But if you're looking for everyday healthy foods, get back to some basics, but prepare it the right way. Thank you, Dr. Rosenthal. Well, I think we've got about three or four minutes before the break. Hey, Dr. Rose, can you also take, before you eat now, to eat some enzymes to help you digest your food, because enzymes do do that? Yes. And and as you and that's the thing that we're finding. You ever run into this older person that just seems like they're thin, they're healthy, they eat it whatever they want, and then you have everybody else who's taking enzymes and supplements and all these other things. Well, chances are the secret is that they've somehow maintained their microbiome because again, I keep talking about butyric acid, but there's a lot of these short chain fatty acids that get absorbed into your body and actually are are epigenetic modulators. So they change the genes that are expressed within your body. And that includes the digestive enzyme release and production within your pancreas. So as you feed your microbiome, your microbiome is going to, because your microbiome absolutely wants, I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship. It wants the food a little more broken down before it gets it so that it can do what it does. So it's a, it's, if you want to call it the circle of life, whatever you want to call it, but those, those components are released into your system will turn back on the enzyme. Now, that said, when you're making the transition, absolutely, digestive enzymes can be key and critical. Um, apple cider vinegar to really boost that system back up, very critical. And doing that the right way is also very important. Right. Got it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. By the way, uh, Dr. O, I'm going to add the aloe vera to my diet. Today, I'm going to do that. I'm literally going to start this today, and believe it or not, I'm going to start uh, the diet to nature reserve for three months. So I'm going to mark some calendars and have some fun. So hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, I can give you some results on how I'm doing on this. So I'm looking forward to this, actually. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, good stuff. And on, on the diet to nature reserve, just like a, um, like a couple of teaspoons, right, was mixed in with some water, right? One teaspoon. Only one. One teaspoon. More, okay, yeah, one more teaspoon. Is, Got it. More, more is too much. Yep. 
more too much. Okay, got it. All right. So one teaspoon. From one teaspoon. Yes. Got, got it. Perfect. All right. I'm gonna do this. I'm done with, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this with a buddy. So I'm, one of the things that I said, uh, we're gonna do this today. So I said, well, I'm off my calendar. I'll have some fun with Dr. O in a couple of weeks. And they talked to her on, on aloe vera. They take like a shot glass, uh, like a shot glass of aloe vera. Yeah, that would be fine. I mean, you, you, you want to start looking at, and, and the issue you, you need to be, so aloe vera is great. It breaks down into, well, it coats and, and helps heal and soothe your digestive system. That's the first thing it does. Eventually it will break down into some sulfur components that are very helpful in detoxing that's from either metals or organic toxins. Um, those sulfurs can be very important. But getting too much sulfur in your system is also a bad thing. So, um, and beans actually have the same capability to break down into sulfur. So you want to take it. It's usually about an eighth to a quarter of a cup is all, and and probably lean an eighth of a quarter to a cup. Okay. Okay. Lean probably more towards the eighth of a cup. It doesn't take much. Okay. But and you got to remember that this is building, so it's doing it day after day consistently that gets you the best benefit. Okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and then hopefully next week I can uh, give a little update what it was. Let's be on it for a few days, and you know, sound my body, you know, you know, felt on this. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Then that's great. Okay, got it. All right. My team doing stuff. Got it. All right, now I'm looking forward to this one. Um, uh, Ernest, I'm just uh, be fun. It's gonna, I'm gonna do this today. That's one of my uh, things. I have notes uh, uh, that I put uh, around my kitchen. So I'm doing this today. <laughs> so this is my start day. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh wow. Good. Cool. No, no, this is a good, good time to start it because you're um, with all the sugars and sweets and everything else that's gonna be flying around. It'd be a good time to start doing the diatomaceous syrup because the, di- the parasites are going to be consuming a lot of the glucose and looking for it, and then if they slip in a little diatomaceous syrup, oops, oh, isn't that too bad? You just died. There you go. <laughs> That's just terrible. <laughs> okay, thank you, Dr. Earl. We're at the break now, and so thank you so much. Thanks so much, Dr. Earl. You're the best. We love you. Thank you. Appreciate all you guys do. Okay. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Hi. Okay, at the beginning of this lecture, I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? And we're going to close with that same question. Are you ready? If you are, let's go.